conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob in our official last episode in this studio. This is like a part two to kind of what we started um, on our last episode, (laughs) but it's sort of a new episode, but it's kind of a part two. We sort of just got going and started talking. And so now Melissa got going and (laughs) kept talking. I don't know what you're talking about, (laughs) but I do know that uh, I sent a message to Dr. Bob a couple of days ago. Let's do an episode. It was on the way back from the last podcast, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had just recorded, and I was like, you know what? We need to do an episode that's all about addressing a medical professional, addressing somebody in healthcare, addressing somebody who has maybe worked in public health. Maybe they're an MD. Maybe they're a nurse. They are, like I said before, a biology major, somebody who has a very traditional sense of what the vaccine program is, how infectious disease works, et cetera. And the reason I think this episode's important is because I know a lot of you that are listening have family members or friends in the medical field who you feel like it's almost impossible to start a conversation with. Mm -hmm. I know you have family members in the medical field. Do I ever. That have a difficult time having this conversation because it's so indoctrinated in some people, in most people, that it's kind of like, where do I start? Where do I go? And so I thought to myself, well, if I was talking to somebody who was a medical doctor and we happen to be sitting on a plane next to each other, what would I say to him or her? What would I say to that medical doctor to open up their eyes and to maybe have a little more understanding on this issue from our side? What types of studies, what pieces of information, what direction would I go in? Because it's a different conversation that you'd have with somebody that's a medical doctor versus somebody who is your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always joke around, like, we can't get into this whole, this whole, like, you show me your study, I'll show you mine. And I think that's what happened to you with your family member mm-hmm. of right. via email. This idea of having a study off, I'm going to show you my study and you show me yours. I want people to know that on the mainstream side of this, there are going to be a ton of studies because we know they're funded to come mm-hmm. out with a certain, you know, um, output. So they're going to have those studies. So you might not be able to keep going back and forth. That doesn't mean that our side is invalid in what we're saying. And we are, there aren't going to be as many studies on our side. There, there aren't. Because coming to those conclusions is not desirable for the medical establishment. So what would you say to somebody in the medical field? Dr. Bob, you and I, you each have your things. I have my things. A couple of questions I would ask. And I think I would probably start with questions. And maybe I'll start with mine because they're a little less heady than yours are probably going to be. Yours are going to be a little more, (laughs) you know, uh, rooted in science and medicine, uh, which is good. And and you want to be able to approach that from a medical doctor's perspective. You want to say, what would you as a medical doctor say to another medical doctor that maybe doesn't believe in the vaccine hesitant movement. They don't believe in the medical freedom movement. They think that we're all anti-vaxxers and we're all dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. So a couple of the things I jotted down of the questions that I would ask, I'm always worried when my phone doesn't recognize my face. <laughs> like how tired <laughs> must I look? Sometimes I haven't recognized your face. Like, <laughs> nice. like I'll be here in the studio and then some woman will walk in and that's <laughs> pairs nice. you out of place. I know, and just, then just, I know. you know. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't always put it together, people. Okay. Um, 
I apologize to our in-studio guests for not looking my best, but this is the best I could do today. <laughs> so, okay, here are the questions I would ask. If I'm sitting on a plane next to a person in medicine, I would say, probably from the beginning, do you think all the parents that are claiming that their children had vaccine injuries, do you think all of them could be getting it wrong? Do you think it's possible for tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people across the globe to all be making the wrong conclusion? Are they all just coincidentally pinning it on something that it's not connected to? Are they all just so uneducated that they're, you know, throwing darts at something, hoping to catch something? Could they all be having the same story coincidentally, but it all be wrong? You know, just, and this is, again, a very right. ideological question. Is right. that possible? Yeah, well, I think the the main, sort of the mainstream medical professional would actually say, yes, they are all getting it wrong. I mean, in, in their brain, they really, truly believe that. So we're talking about parents who are also doctors or medical professionals, lawyers, extremely intelligent business people, mm -hmm. people with secondary degrees. We're not talking about lower level Americans here. We're talking about upper level, highly educated um, parents. Do you, the medical professionals, still think all those people, they happen to be so intelligent everywhere else, but in this one area, they're just missing the mark. And how could all of them be in the same boat. Well, so I think the challenge is to, I mean, obviously we don't think all those, you know, parents are, are wrong. And so the challenge is how do you get the medical professional with a certain mindset that really does think they're all wrong? How do you get past that first little hurdle and try to make that medical professional stop and think something different than just the straightforward dogma right. and the almost you know religious-like belief that they have. How do you get over that tiny little first hurdle to make them say, "Huh, that's interesting." You know, mm -hmm. maybe I should sort of kind of re-examine that. I mean, maybe I think you sort of hit it on the head a little bit is pointing out the fact that vaccine-hesitant parents are more educated. The, they they tend to make more money, have a higher level of level of education, and maybe get them to try to wonder why why does that subset of of uh, parents uh, why are they the ones that are vaccine hesitant? Um, and and to me, kind of the way around that is is you need to tell that medical professional what you are reading, you know that you're not just reading Google. You're not just getting educated off the internet. Um, you didn't just you know see one person kind of give a lecture about vaccines and, and you were sold. You need to tell the medical professional, hey, I've read through you know you know dozens of articles from the British Medical Journal. They publish a lot of interesting things about this. The New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of the American Medical Association, the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every single one of those journals has two types of research. One type of research that says, in general, vaccines are safe and are, you know, we're not, there's no concrete evidence that they are related to any of these chronic severe problems. That's one type of research. But the other type of research that they're publishing over and over again are case studies of severe reactions or like, like groups of patients who have had severe reactions. Here's a study from the American Academy of Pediatrics Journal from 1998 that shows how many people suffered severe brain damage from the MMR vaccine. It's right there in the AAP journal. 
And so I think the the way you get over that hurdle is to get the medical professional to at least acknowledge that you as an individual are reading these studies in the same journals he or she is reading and the studies are there. They're, they're there over and over again. Yeah. The conclusion from the, in these journals is that, you know, we can't prove the vaccines are related, but we're going to still keep you know, reporting all these case studies. And if you can, I mean, if you want to be prepared for this, if you have, you know, maybe the, the 10 best such, you know, research studies from all these mainstream journals and, and you say, you know, you know, Dr. Smith, you know, I, I believe what I believe, not because I, you know, saw Jenny McCarthy appear on, on an interview somewhere and talking about what happened to her son. I believe what I believe because all of your medical journals are reporting on these reactions. And, and, and so you tell me what you think about that. So I think you've gotten over that first hurdle uh, to get that doctor to, to at least maybe look at you a little differently saying, Oh, that's interesting. So you're not just a crazy person that has these beliefs from someone else. You actually got your belief after reading the same medical journals that I'm reading. So maybe I'll, maybe that sort of bridges the gap or opens the door a little bit for the conversation to continue a little bit further. In, in my opinion, I think that's okay. how a doctor would look at but it. But even before that, because obviously if I jumped in the first line, somebody I'm sitting next to on an airplane, like I've read and then listed off right. 10 different journals to me, that's even still. Well, 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 sorry, it's not like my study versus your study. No, I know. It's, it's this is the foundation of where I'm getting my knowledge. Right. I, but I'm acknowledging that the same journals say overall, there's no proof that vaccines are the cause of this. Yet those same journals keep reporting these problems, potential problems over and over again. So that should lead us both as medical professionals to further investigation, mm -hmm. not just to be able to, you know, shut this down and say, you know, case is closed, as, as you've said in, a, in another interview. I, I think because you're right, you can't play my study versus your study. You have, no, to, but I'm you have wondering, to present yourself as an intelligent person and where you're getting your research. Right. right. But I'm saying even before any of that, even before all that, mm -hmm. you're having this conversation you just started and you are an intelligent person. Of course, you want to make sure that you portray yourself intelligently and you are articulate in the way that you speak about all things. Mm -hmm. Because you can tell usually like a level of intelligence by somebody, whether they're talking about the weather or they're talking about how full the airplane is. You can tell by the way somebody speaks, how intelligent they are before they're listing the journals that they look, you know, for vaccine safety studies. If I say to somebody next to me, who's a medical doctor, and I start to talk about what I've witnessed in my child, what I saw happen in my mm -hmm. child, and I'm mm -hmm. saying it in a way that's articulate, I'm yeah. saying it in a way that's rational, it's logical, it's intelligent. And then they know that I come from an academic background. They know that if I was a lawyer mm -hmm. or another medical professional, you would respect that person in a way to know that you can deduce information yeah. at that level of intelligence. So there's no real chance that you just, you're so smart over here, but you just happen to witness something in your child that's non-existent and you just happen to make this up. I think part of understanding that there, why there's an intelligent a huge portion of our movement are made up of int very intelligent people. The reason for that to me is not so much about the studies, but it's about 
normal reasoning, normal deduction, just being able to have a rational conversation based on data that you have seen. You have seen it and you make logical conclusions. That's what intelligent people can do. It's not reasonable that hundreds of thousands of intelligent people would just coincidentally not be able to deduce in this one situation, but they can make really good you know what you you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so understanding the intelligence level, but not even so much about. Well, look, I read these journals more. Just, I've made it pretty well in my life by by yeah. being an intelligent person. I know how to look at data and understand when it is and isn't accurate. I'm not just throwing something out here. I mean, maybe one or two of these cases isn't connected, but you know, you can't say that about ten thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand yeah. people. And these are people who are make a living on their intelligence. They actually make a living because of their higher level of education and their ability to deduce information and make accurate conclusions. You can't do that in a courtroom, but somehow missed it when you're at home watching your kid after their vaccine appointment. You see what I'm saying? That to me is an ideological conversation to have with, like, is it possible that all of these parents are getting it wrong? If you really dive into that question, I don't know how somebody who's also intelligent and rational and logical could say, statistically speaking, it's possible that every single one of these people just got it wrong. Well, well, actually, I think the the regular doctor would believe that a hundred thousand parents could be getting it wrong. I, I feel like they they do believe that many parents are being are capable of being delusional on this, even if they're so right, smart right. everywhere else. Right, the top well, attorney in their field, but they're right. delusional you're here. Sorry, I think I, I like how you're presenting, and I think that that's that's a good point. If you're but they're thinking, well, most of the people in that movement aren't that intelligent lawyer or that well-educated person. But that's person. the point. The point is right. to bring that to the forefront. Right, right. But so I, for me, you're not going to get that doctor to to meet you there just on the fact that there's 100,000 100, 100, super intelligent parents that believe this. I think that might help them in the long run if they realize, hey, yeah, all these parents, they are all more educated and maybe I should start listening. But I think you have to figure out how to get them there. And for me, one of the one useful technique would be when you're talking to a doctor is try to find common ground first. Um, and for me, some of the common ground statements that maybe you and the doctor would both agree on in this, in this would be things like, um, uh, well, yes, Dr. Smith, I agree that vaccines do work. Yeah. And then if you're going to, if you're going to have a two hour conversation, you could eventually get to where, you know, how vaccines work in, in, in a variety of different ways. And some work well, some don't work well, and some barely work at all. And, but so you can eventually get there, but you could agree, well, yeah, vaccines do work. I'm not saying they don't work. Um, I'm saying, you know, my child had a severe reaction, um, but you want to find this common ground, you know, vaccines work. Um, well, yes, really severe, you know, life altering, severely disabling reactions might be uh, very uncommon. You know, that the number of people that that happens to is maybe maybe that is uncommon. Um, um, yes, mo- most people seem to handle vaccines well. Uh, yes, vaccines have helped reduce some diseases. Those are sort of, to me, those are statements that that doctor, if you're at least agreeing to those sort of basic tenets, at least on some level, that pulls them into the conversation a little bit better because you're not arguing those points. You're arguing like the finer, like the deeper levels of those points. So you're arguing what happened to your child and you're arguing that 100,000 other intelligent parents are saying the same thing. 
but I think you, if you can use that common ground tactic to me, that that is something that a doctor would listen to. So they, even though it's, 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 it's unfortunate that they need that to see you as an intelligent person, but if they hear you kind of agreeing to that common ground, then they're like, okay, this person is intelligent. Maybe I'll continue this conversation, well, which think- it's, it's unfortunate it has to be that way, but I think that's probably probably the reality. I mean, what we, we've said this before, but before any conversation that you have with mm-hmm. anyone, you also need to think about your intention for the conversation. What do you want that person to come out with? Am mm-hmm. I trying to have a conversation with a medical doctor next to me so that I can get them to scream from the rooftops that vaccine injury is happening and, it, and this is a big conspiracy? No, of course that's not what's going to happen. And I think because medical doctors or medical professionals have a very generalized, stereotypical view of who we are on the other side of it, I think my primary goal would be at the end of that conversation for them to have a different view of who we are. Mm -hmm. Because they might Mm -hmm. say, you know what? Maybe there are a few crazy ones, but you know, I was, I was sitting next to a girl on the plane the other day. We had an hour long conversation. She seemed really intelligent. She was rational. Her concerns seemed valid. She wasn't trying to destroy the entire vaccine program. She didn't think that was what was necessary for us to move forward. Um, I think your intention is important. And if your intention is to maybe point out that mandates are unethical, Mm-hmm. And maybe that is your, that's what you want to get to. So the, yes, I agree that vaccines have reduced the incidence of disease for certain diseases. Right. Yes, I agree that there are some of them that have less reactions than others. Yes, I agree that some people don't have noticeable side effects after getting many doses of vaccines. Yes, I can agree with those things. However, we do know that all pharmaceutical products have right. side effects for right. some. We do know yeah. that there are children that are neg- negatively affected by this. Right. Because we know that, how is it ethical for us to mandate when those are the kids that are being discriminated against and being kicked out of right. school? Right. And, and I, but I think the way you get that doctor to meet you there, whereas, yes, some, some children are negatively affected. In the doctor's mind, he or she is thinking, well, no, they're not. Vaccines are perfectly safe. In their mind, they're thinking, wait, you just said some some children are very negatively affected. But in my mind, I've always thought vaccines are perfectly safe. So what do you mean by that? You know, you know, and, and I like how you said, you know, some pharmaceuticals uh, or all, all pharmaceuticals are going to have negative consequences for, for some. some. That's right. So I like to kind of, I like to bring that up a little bit further, like with a medical professional. Mm. And I like to kind of, uh, portray like, kind of like what, what their experience is like as a doctor every day. Like they're writing antibiotics. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're writing uh, antacids for kids with reflux. They're writing, you know, steroids for, uh, you know, kids with asthma Lots of medical interventions. Right. Right. And in their mind, um, and especially like the, the classic example for pediatricians would be if, if you have a kid who's on taking Tylenol all the time for pain relief, you have to worry about liver failure. And you have to worry about, you know, antibiotic uh, allergic reactions. You have to worry about steroids lowering your immune system a little bit. So doctors always have that in your mind. Mm-hmm. And so I think to me, if I was a doctor like on their side, mm-hmm. it would speak to me if a person who is intelligent like you and we're having this conversation, you, you want to get me to 
to include vaccines in that category right. of medications that can have negative consequences right. for some, right? Right. Not we're not saying yeah. that for everyone, right? So, so you want to like you want to you just want to like give some examples of things that they're commonly using all the time. Like mm-hmm. say you're talking to a a neurologist and you're talking about you know well you know seizure medications they're great they they help you know reduce seizures in kids but you know you're always monitoring for severe reactions some seizure medicines can cause severe liver problems and you're always you know watching that and worried in the back of your mind well the same thing is with the vaccinations as a pharmaceutical product it's it's going to have a negative effect in a small number of kids and and to me, that that would really speak to a pediatrician or any doctor if you can kind of get them to see it as a pharmaceutical. Yes, exactly. Is which, which you keep saying, mm-hmm, right? But you have to kind of. How do you get them to see it as a pharmaceutical? And you get them to see it by pointing out other examples of daily pharmaceuticals they use. But then you say, you know, you know, and for every child, every two month old baby you're seeing in the office, you know, you're giving them you know, three or four injections that have, you know, about, you know, eight or nine vaccines, you know, in them total. You're doing that, you know, two months and four months and six months. Well, that's way more kind of invasive and, you know, uh, influences the immune system in a much stronger way than any of these other medications. Like say you had to give them an antibiotic, say you had to give them an antacid. Comparatively, the the medical influence of that many vaccines on a baby is is on a potentially higher level than that little course of medication you're going to do. So shouldn't you as a doctor kind of consider that or factor that in to something that could negatively influence um, a a small number of babies in in that scenario? And at least kind of recognize that. Is that possible? And is that true as a pharmaceutical product? Well, I think that angle, is that possible? And in line Mm -hmm. with the pharmaceutical companies, I would also maybe bring up have pharmaceutical companies ever before in the past lied about safety data for their medicine? Right, have they right. ever been federally tried for misleading the public, falsifying data, or hiding information from the FDA or the public? Like, has there ever been a circumstance where the pharmaceutical companies were not completely transparent? They were not honest with the public. They were not honest with the medical professionals who were even using their products and giving them out. If we know it's happened before, and we know it's happened multiple times with every major pharmaceutical company that also happens to be a manufacturer of childhood vaccines, why would we not assume there's a possibility at least that it could be happening with vaccines as well? As in a, can we agree to that? Can we agree on that? Yeah. Well, you got to be careful because they'll agree with you on medications, but the automatic knee-jerk response is no way is that possible when it comes to vaccines. So I'd probably ask, why not? So I'd ask, why not? Right, I put it back on them. Explain to me why a product that is manufactured by a pharmaceutical company, just like every one of their other drugs, is somehow completely um, void of any type of, of, you know, safety risk or whatever. Explain to me why that that's, you know, why that's true. And they might say, well, these are biologics, right? It's in a different category. Right, right, right. And, and, And I like the biologics part of the conversations. I think a conversation with any medical professional should include the issue of them being classified as biologics and medications being classified as pharmaceuticals. Drugs or drugs, yeah. In no way whatsoever does that change the safety profile or make vaccines somehow automatically safer right. simply because they're classified as biologics. What that doctor probably doesn't know and where, where this conversation needs to, needs to you know steer toward is the fact that biologics – 
are not required by the FDA to have placebo safety testing. Right. Um, you need to tell that doctor that. So, yeah, you, and, and you sort of need to acknowledge, yeah, in your mind, I understand that you view vaccines as as incredibly safe, way safer than medications. There, there can't possibly be something wrong with them where they're, you know, causing, you know, any negative consequences except maybe in the, in the extremely rare cases. I understand all that. But let's explore why you think that and how the FDA approaches this. So you have all these medications that that every pharmaceutical company is mandated by law to put through placebo safety testing using inert controls and do randomized you know, controlled trials on people with the medication, without the medication, and people with a current you know, level of treatment versus this new level of treatment. They have to go through all that safety profile because that's a pharmaceutical. That's a medication. They're required to do that. So why are vaccines and, listed as biologics then? Right. So, so you, well, vaccines are listed as biologics because I think it's because anything that's a blood product, anything that's like a blood product or is, or is uh, injected as a way to like influence the immune system in a certain way, they're all in this, this totally separate category. And, and honestly, Which I don't, seems like it should have more restrictions. No, you, you know what? You're right. Theory. You're right. You're right. And that might speak to the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you need to make sure the doctor realizes that all this faith he has in, in pharmaceutical safety research and, and pharmaceutical safety research is actually way more extensive because they have to do placebos. And in that category, they fully acknowledge there are severe reactions. Right. And then so there's then, lying about safety data and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Under those categories yeah. Yeah. Also. So you hear about via Vioxx, you hear about these other things where they, they actually have been found, you know, you know, criminally, criminally negligent in, in, in the safety data. So then now we have vaccines. They don't have to do any inert placebo safety testing. Now the doctor won't believe you. So you have to kind of have to show that to them. Um, but you can at least maybe get them thinking, aha, this whole category of medical treatment has no placebo safety testing. Um, it's a whole different category. And then, you know, we've never, you know, tested, you know, any of these kids who are not getting vaccines compared to the kids that are getting the vaccines. That's the whole hallmark of, of classic, you know, uh, mainstream medical research. Um, the whole time in their mind, they're thinking, well, that's okay. Vaccines are perfectly safe. Mm -hmm. But I think you, so I don't think you're going to convince them that there's anything wrong with that system in this conversation, but I think the value will be is they'll understand why you as an intelligent person believe the way you do mm-hmm. because right. you have discovered that because vaccines are in a different category, they're allowed to be, you know, uh, approved without placebo safety testing, without any long-term outcomes research in, in kids who, you know, get vaccinated compared to kids who don't. Um, they're allowed that. And you as a consumer are uncomfortable with that. You as this doctor's patient are uncomfortable with subjecting your child to a to a you know a, this invasive set of medical procedures that didn't go through the same safety testing as all other pharmaceutical products, and I think they won't look at you crazy for that. I think they'll they'll get that. At least it seems reasonable. Right, it seems totally reasonable. And as you say, that's part of your goal. That's part of the goal. They want you to seem like a reasonable person. Right. I think I would probably follow that up with. 
then maybe asking about ingredients and vaccines, about Mm -hmm. whether or not they know of all of the ingredients. Could they name several of them? And specifically getting into discussion on aluminum. Mm -hmm. There is no medical professional out there that has done any current research that can say, based on data that's out there, that injected aluminum is completely safe. And we're not talking about just about vaccines, but just in Mm -hmm. general, because there is so much data that shows the Alzheimer's patients Mm -hmm. and things like that, that we know aluminum is neurotoxic. That's kind of like something most people agree upon. For whatever reason, they seem to think that you ingest, you know, the ingest versus inject argument that we talked about before um, as well. They tend to think it's a sa- it's an okay amount, though. Yeah. And I think if maybe that conversation got into a little bit for this dose times multiple doses times a two months, yeah. four months, six month appointment, then twelve months, then yeah. fifteen months, then eighteen months, and now every year after that, um, once you get to that cumulative load of aluminum, and there is no way out for some of the aluminum that gets stored, which is proven through, again, through peer-reviewed medical literature, like Christopher Exley and Chris Shaw, mm-hmm. when, you, when you know there's data that says aluminum is getting stored in brain tissue and in the organs, and when it's injected, there's really no way for it to get out of the body the same way that it's ingested, even being able to say that to a medical professional, again, you are going to at least appear reasonable. Because you're not just, this is the way I feel, it's my body, I don't want the government telling me what to do. And that's kind of what they tend to think of our side, is that we don't have any science or data to back up our argument. Right. Again, my goal is not to convince the medical professional to believe what I believe. My goal is to convince that medical professional that I have a valid reason to believe mm-hmm. what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that comes down to yeah. this intention. Totally. I think our side keeps missing the mark on that because okay. they just they want to teach somebody. They want to like convince them, right. you know, and that's not what our job is. Our job is to tell your story. In telling your story, you also want to change this narrative about who we are as a movement. And again, if that doctor or that nurse or that biology professor gets off of that plane with a different view of mm-hmm. somebody on our side, then I have succeeded. Yeah, totally. Because I do come from an academic and intellectual background. I'm not going to just make things up and just come to some viewpoint for nothing. There's obviously a reason I have come so strongly on my opinions on this outside of just my personal story. Story. I've done a ton of research as a result of my personal story. And if I can let somebody understand, um, we're not all who you think we are. And I've had that conversation multiple times. I can't mm-hmm. tell you just recently being on an airplane and just being able to say, I know you probably think we are this way. I right. know you've probably been told X, Y, and Z, but what you'd be surprised to know is that most people in this movement are parents like me that are educated intellectual people who had firsthand experience of side effects, negative adverse reactions, and who at that point had to go into deep research mode to really understand what had happened to their own kid and what to do in the future now as a result. As a result. Um, I think if you go into a conversation trying to convince that medical professional, then it's going to be a, my ego versus your ego. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a battle and it never wins. This, there's no, nobody wins. It's the same thing like the super provax troll guy who's like online that people are going back and forth with, here's a study on this and here's a study. It's like, you're not going to win those conversations. And that shouldn't even be the goal. The goal is not to right. win. It's not to stump them. It's not like, let me, let me, no, let totally. me stump right. you. Right. The goal is to say, 
okay, but what about this? So then we talk about ingredients in aluminum. I can't imagine any medical professional really feeling like, no, I'm totally fine with aluminum. I'm not worried about that at all. I don't think there's any risk to that. There could be some, but some of them have at least pondered a little bit about aluminum. Um, And then I would also go into the federal vaccine court and an idea that there has been so much money paid out. Do you think the federal government is paying out for injuries that aren't really happening? Do you think considering the burden of proof is so high and it's on the parent, do you think it's really possible that $4 billion could have been given out all for injuries that really weren't connected, but they just wanted to keep somebody happy? Like, do you think that's actually possible? Yeah, well, that, that's a great uh, that's a great place to go because that's concrete. They can they can think about that, and and you want to sort of have the the numbers at your fingertips. Is it about four thousand people have been have won their case in vaccine court or been mm-hmm. awarded or settled, something like that? I don't think it's four thousand, but yeah, it's it's over four billion. But that's Is just it, who's won, right? Right. We know right. that it's really hard to win in that court, like again, because right. the burden of proof. We know that their goal is to try to make sure you don't win. So if they're settling right. for this kind of with these kind of numbers, yeah, but, you know, no, but a doctor is only going to think that the ones who won are the ones that are semi-legitimate. Mm-hmm. So I think if, and I bet most doctors don't even know about that vaccine court or know what the numbers are, know how many people have been through it and how many people have been awarded. So I think. Um, Again, I, if, I, I should have these numbers at my fingertips, and even I forget the numbers sometimes. But that's, I think, a way to demonstrate to that medical professional that if our government is legitimately awarding thousands of you know people after they've had a you know a proven vaccine injury, doesn't that at least then make it? make it uh, plausible that these right. vaccine injuries are happening. And so, and yeah, when right. they happen. Plausible. Right. So, and, and because me as a, me as a mom, <laughs> here's the numbers, right? Yeah. So it's, um, it is, uh, it's uh, 6,000, over 6,000 um, uh, injury and death claims compensated, all right? Mostly uh, through negotiated settlements, mm-hmm. right? Um, over $4 billion, Um Paid out. So how those kinds of numbers that medical professional might think, gosh, you know, 6,000 victims of severe vaccine injury, that's way more than I would have even thought possible. And that's severe. Right, right. And so, so that at least gets a concrete number into their minds. So then they, so then you follow it up with, you're thinking, okay, me as a, as an intelligent parent, I have a child, um, you know, I have a, an uncle who who was in vaccine court, or my neighbor I met down the street. You know, they were in vaccine court, or um, I have you know a friend. You know, my my kids. You know, friend at school, their kid was was one of those six thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when I hear that sort of thing happening, that scares me and that concerns me, and I'm I worry about putting my kid at risk of that kind of injury. Don't you think at, at least? As a parent, I have the right to actually consider that or weigh that into this risk-benefit ratio when we know those injuries are, you know, are are legitimately happening. And I think so for my particular story because the injuries to Serenity were moderate, right? And obviously could have been so much worse had we done the full amount of doses every single time. God forbid, like who knows what that would have happened. We know what would have happened. And had we not stopped at 12 months, mm-hmm. had she kept going. Um I would personally also bring up 
seizures. And I would do that mm-hmm. because that's something medical professionals tend to think are harmless. Right. And because they're so common, they've been very normalized. The CDC mentions that. We talk about the MMR and chickenpox given together and the 1 in 1250 or whatever it is. Um, and then a 1 in 3,000 risk for every just individual MMR vaccine that's given. The CDC talks about febrile seizures, but of course there are different types of seizures that happen as a result of vaccination. Recently, we covered the idea of febrile seizures mm-hmm. and whether or not they really are harmless because mm-hmm. new data now is coming out that is actually talking about how the early febrile seizure can turn into chronic disease later on. It can turn into epilepsy and it can also mm-hmm. turn into mood and personality disorders mm-hmm. that become a lifelong um, debilitating condition for people as they turn into teen and adult years. And so... I would love to have that conversation with a medical professional who says febrile seizures are harmless because I will talk about my own experience as a child having that happen, being put on anti-seizure medication till I was five. And at that point, you're supposed to outgrow them. But for some children, they don't outgrow them. The more frequently they have the febrile seizures combined with other things like being fully vaccinated, lots of antibiotics, et cetera, can turn into an epileptic condition. And new research showing they're not completely harmless after all, and they're so common, is there a reason to have concern? And I would absolutely bring up family medical history to a medical professional because I think that's something to consider. As a medical professional, when it comes down to you asking about a medical intervention, it is your due diligence to ask about family medical history. I was never asked about that with the pediatrician before vaccine appointments for my daughter. I should have been Mm -hmm. because the family medical history paints a picture of whether or not that patient is a good patient to be uh, receiving that particular intervention or not. I think all medical professionals can understand there is genetic susceptibility. There are certain people that are at risk over others. There aren't really ways to tell necessarily, but because we know there is such thing as a complex medical history with your family and how genetics play a role, that's a conversation I think that would instantly also make you reasonable in your argument. When you're talking about, you know how everybody responds differently to every medication. Some people that you write a prescription for blood pressure medication could be totally fine with this one. Some people have side effects. Everybody's unique. The same is true for vaccines. We have this one size fits all approach. We're universally giving out a schedule that we don't necessarily know how that child's body will react. Some children will react poorly, just like every other pharmaceutical product. It's reasonable to understand genetic susceptibility is something we should have as a part of the conversation. It's reasonable to be curious about how the body responds to certain components, certain immune activation events. I mean, if you're throwing some of this in there, what kind of person could sit there and go, no, you're totally off. Like you obviously have nothing to go off of. There's a lot here to strengthen your foundation of this is why I came to my belief system. Right, right. Well, I think that's key because personally, I don't think a doctor is going to think family history matters uh, like on the surface level. So you have to present it the way you just you just presented it as because they're they're not going to think like, you know, any sort of family history is a valid reason as to why you can't vaccinate your child. So I think you have to present it as as what you're thinking and, and your thought process. And so, you know, something that is personal to you and mm-hmm. that applied to your kids does matter. So I think you want to find, you know, someone who's in this movement, if you're going to be having these conversations, you, I think, want to establish in your mind 
what are the family history factors that you think really do fit well and are a good criteria as a family history factor in this discussion? You can't just say, oh, everyone has autoimmune disease, so I'm not going to get vaccines. I think that you want to have it more concrete just so that you are shown that you're thinking through it. And and what you really want to remind this doctor is – Family history is everything in most medical fields. Right. And so you can you can remind that doctor that, you know, I know in medical school you guys, you know, you guys learn how to do physical exams and take histories. And taking a family history is like paramount in, yeah. in, in every new patient. Right. You know, you want to know. Cancers and heart yeah, disease exactly. and those things that are passed. Because you want to know what risks, you know, your patient has based mm-hmm. on what their family. So so here's what happened to my sister's kid mm-hmm. the day they got their one-year-old vaccines. You know, they got, they got you know, the pneumococcal and the flu shot and the MMR vaccine and boom, had a febrile seizure. And now their child has ongoing epilepsy. So now that it's been well established in research that those three, those three vaccines are connected, uh, you know, do have a causal connection to seizures, um, considering family history, all I'm saying is, uh, I'm not saying like this means I, f- I for sure shouldn't vaccinate, but what I'm saying is I'm factoring that in as an intelligent, educated person. I need to factor that in as a family history uh, uh, issue as I, as I weigh the benefits versus risks. Again, it's showing that you're thinking through this on in an intelligent way because, again, because you want that, that doctor to leave that airplane flight thinking, oh, I remember, yeah, that's smart – a woman that I spent the hour talking to, she seemed like she really was thinking through this. So we're going to wrap up this episode now for part one of how to talk to a medical professional. And we'll come back with part two, where we can go into more detail of the kind of questions you would ask, the studies mm-hmm. you would bring up, and the conversation you would have with someone who works in medicine as it relates to vaccine-hesitant parents and our movement for medical freedom. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next time on The Vaccine Conversation. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.